earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it. Welcome everyone. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, dawn of an era of well-being is the place to tune in. We're going to deep dive into uplift with insight. And I am thrilled to welcome our two formidable hosts, two-time Nobel nominee and founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, Professor Irvin Laszlo, and a fourth-generation family business entrepreneur who is the founder of ITEA Institute Quantum Leadership Center, Fred Sow. I'd like to start each episode by acknowledging our worldwide audience, for whom this is really a very challenging time. Some people are thriving, but many people are having a hard time. It's a challenging and dawn of an era of well-being podcast and the book hopes to offer real comfort to the global community. But today is a little different. As of this recording, it is the dawn of the COP26, perhaps the most consequential environmental address of our existence. You don't have to be an environmentalist to be at the effect of the weather and its existential impact on every living being. From environmental change to environmental change, we need a new paradigm to help us all realign. So before I introduce today's important guest, Roger Nelson, I want to talk for a moment about oneness, the universe, and our ultimate connection, Irvin. Um, on page 54, thereabouts in, in Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, uh, I'm quoting, I hope, chance events are highly unlikely to have created our observable universe, given this short 3.8, uh, 13, excuse me, 13.8 billion years time span. So in other words, you're saying that our consciousness and the observable cosmos is not at all an accident, it's not a fluke. Can you briefly address this? And in fact, how was this determined, Irvin? Well, I think the proof lies in a negative, negative evidence in a way. The mm -hmm. old dogma, which was dominant, dominant doctrine of physics still being taught in universities, is that the universe that we observe is the product of a series of chance interactions. Heaven's sake, don't talk about anything beyond chance because then you're bringing in teleology. Next thing you know, you'll be dealing with some extra, extra, extra sensitive and extra earth intelligence floating about his long beards or his, his white wings. So scientists are very worried about that. But the, the fact is that there is something more than randomness. It has been calculated that uh, even the DNA of a fruit fly is not likely to have come about by chance variations of the, among the various genes, of, of a group of genes. So Fred Hoyle said that the probability of a, of a new species arising by random interactions is similar to the probability that a hurricane blowing through a scrapyard would assemble a working airplane. You can agree that that probability exists but it's not very likely. So I think we can actually, for practical purposes, we can dismiss it and say that it's likely to be astronomically likely, very, very likely, that there is more in this universe than chance interaction. It's, this universe is coherent and it has, it's complex and it maintains itself and it evolves. 
How does this do this? What is that something? Is it a divine spark? Is it a, an attractor, as I like to think about it? Is it something that is, is reaching our heart or our brain or both? All things that we should discuss. These are all exciting questions. Absolutely. And what better jumping off point to introduce our special guest today, Roger Nelson. Here's, here's Roger. He's director of the Global Consciousness Project. His background includes physics and experimental psychology. He's the author or co-author of over 100 technical papers and two books, Connected, The Emergence of Global Consciousness, and, okay, let me try my best German, Der Weltgeist, wie wir alle miteinander verbunden sind. Oh my, By, uh, that was with George uh, Georg, excuse me, Georg Kindle. <laughs> I really need to brush up on all my languages. <laughs> he was professor of psychology at Johnson State College in Vermont. And in 1980, he joined Princeton University's PEAR Lab, that's P-E-A-R lab to coordinate research. He created the Global Consciousness Project, the GCP, in 1997 to gather evidence of coalescing global consciousness. He is a fellow of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and he is Roger Nelson. Welcome, Roger. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. It's I'm, wonderful uh, to have you here. <laughs> I, it, it was, uh, I'd love to follow on what uh, Irvin says, I truly believe that there is more than randomness in the universe. And one of the tools of my research for 30 years has been randomness. So, and what we discover when we um, ask uh, a question about consciousness and randomness is that randomness isn't, uh, isn't invulnerable at all. It isn't truly uh, chaotic, it can be manipulated or changed in positive or negative directions by conscious intention. And the um, long-term project, the Global Consciousness Project, has been looking at randomness, uh, asking whether there might be a little less randomness when we human beings become coherent, and especially if we become interconnected and coherent. And then uh, just one more note, there's a third book now, an, a sec, another book in German, <laughs> and I won't ask you to pronounce it. <laughs> Maybe we'll ask it's you to pronounce it. The Weltkraft in Deer, which is about um, the kind of uh, powers that we actually have within us, which are, um, which are waiting to be revealed, I think, to us and then to, uh, to our friends and neighbors, things like the capacity to, to capacity to in um, to use intuitions for our benefit instead of saying oh nothing to that we can learn uh, to respect intuition we can learn to um, take advantage of the fact that we are connected with each other in so many ways including uh, giving us the possibility of sending healing intentions and most people do this as a kind of part of their natural being. But um, I think most people, if, if asked by a scientist, would say, oh, no, there's nothing to that. But the truth is that we have been praying for since probably since we learned, <laughs> became able to speak and communicate at all. And why would we do that? Why would we continue to do that 
if it's not useful. So we have powers within us that we need to recognize, respect, and I think uh, also to develop. Indeed, and I, oh, there's so much to uncover here. I want to backtrack for a moment just about these random generators that exist around the world to measure, if I understand correctly, the response of the collective community. And there have been certain moments through your studies where these generators really spiked. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the nature of these spikes? And uh, here's where I'm going. Are these spikes related to situations, events, incidents of a what we call negative nature? Or are there spikes that are occurring based on extraordinarily wonderful ones? Because would this not indicate the psychological state that our world is in or that it's geared towards reacting to at this state, this crazy state on our planet? Talk to us about that. Okay, the thing that I believe is uh, germane and most central to the process of our measurement, which is really just a gathering of uh, data asking if there are correlations. In any case, mm -hmm. that the, the system that we use is, um, I, I guess it's, one can say that it's labile, that means it's potentially can change in the presence of coherence. Uh, the thing that we ultimately wind up measuring is something like resonance and coherence in a space that we have to call consciousness space. I saw, I, one way of thinking about it is that uh, human beings aren't um, just mechanical objects. Mm. We exist in a larger space than that. Our consciousness is not confined to the skull. It extends out into the into the universe as far as we know without uh, real limitation but uh, back to the maybe core of your question um, you asked if we if our system this this, uh, this uh, network of random number generators responds only to negative events uh, my favorite perhaps uh, event looked at every year is new year new <laughs> New Year's is a kind of almost for everybody a positive event. People come together to celebrate this um, absolutely abstract moment. It's just a an idea that we have, and yet we come together in celebration. We want to give somebody a hug at midnight, or we want to lift a glass and you know drink a toast to a, the the coming year. It's it's completely arbitrary and abstract, and yet because people. Um, believe they are joining together in a celebration, they do join together. They, they become a little closer to what the sages of all cultures have, have said is real, that we, we become a little closer to the unity that is possible uh, for human beings. We are one, and we just don't know it. <laughs> That's profound. Uh, and I think we're starting to discover just how one we are off the heels of, unfortunately, one more true catastrophe with the pandemic. But hopefully that's inspiring real awareness that's oriented in a, in a positive way. But it's still tricky right now. So I want to talk about some of this tricky terrain, if you will. Uh, it seems that we have a propensity for drama 
in our world. Uh, and drama can be very effective and interesting and engaging, but this is bordering on melodrama oftentimes and to the detriment of large swaths of the global population and all of our psyches. In the physical domain, it's clear where I leave off and you begin, you know, your physically, physiology, physiology <laughs> is you and in your human form and mine is in mine, et cetera, et cetera. But when we get into this concept of oneness, of consciousness, does that begin to blur the lines? Uh, where do my thoughts leave off and yours begin? And in that regard, is there... We've often heard of two people thinking of the same thing at the same time without even knowing it or tapping uh, consciously into each other's thoughts or, or the Akashic. Um, yesterday, we started to discuss a little bit in our podcast series about AI. It's, it's extraordinary potential in many industries, but also the unregulated nature of what we're diving into uh, and how how to, I almost want to say, regulate consciousness. Do we need to even consider this? I mean, space, we're already out there in space, which is largely unregulated. And it seems like we are getting ahead of ourselves since consciousness is such a new um, concept to so many people who are waking up to this. Do we have to take care and be a little mindful, mindful, if you will, about how we interact and explore? I think the you use a very important term, they're mindful. Um, the, I wonder if uh, anybody in the AI business has considered how an AI uh, actor might be mindful. Is that possible? <laughs> I think until we understand uh, something like uh, mindfulness in, uh, and learn to uh, capture the values that mindfulness confers in ourselves, we may be a little ahead of ourselves by uh, setting up uh, artificial intelligence. It's really very uh, likely that we'll benefit hugely from AI if we use it for the kinds of things it's really good for. But I want to see an AI painting, right? <laughs> or hear an AI um, a musical composition. So tr the truth is those things are happening. Um, and uh, we may judge AI partly on the possibility of programming, of us putting our intentions into this machine so that we'll actually do something like a human might. But, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not convinced that we're ready, uh, partly because mm -hmm. I think uh, you, you broached the issue of um, how fast we are advancing technologically. We are way far ahead of ourselves in technological development as large cultures, as the sort of governing bodies and so forth. We're very far ahead of our social development. If we were as good at um, the uh, social interaction, uh, cultural exchanges. If we're as good at those things as we are making rocket ships to send people into space, we'd be, uh, I think, way ahead of the game. Indeed, indeed. So it really is um, an arena with which we should approach 
with care. Um, we're, we're really infants in this respect. And Irvin, I'd like to get your feedback about this. Do you feel, because consciousness obviously is going to be our footpath towards the future, uh, but learning how to use it or to be used by it, I, I suppose we should say, it's really a relationship, isn't it? Uh, where, where are we in this stage of un? furling our relationship to consciousness, Irvin? Well, we are underdeveloped in one respect and overdeveloped in another. We could do far more than we are able to manage, able to, to understand, to comprehend. We are far more complex than coherence. Our coherence is lagging behind. So complexity becomes chaotic after a while. It's very interesting. The problem that you raised about positive and negative, I've been thinking about it since you raised it just now. <laughs> of course, what is positive and negative needs to be measured against something. I think the best measurement is whether it promotes the unfolding, what we call evolution on in this universe, or whether it blocks it, or is nothing is entirely immaterial or, or neutral with regard to it. But some of these things are not really significantly pro or con. But there could be some events that are really very much promoting evolution, bringing us together, creating more harmony in the world, more understanding, and, and more living together. And some other things could be violence, could be, could be tremendous uh, injustice, poverty, you know, penury, and change, uh, stress caused by environmental changes. So there are many kinds of events occurring, and I think it uh, would be Nelson, who is the best person in the world, actually, to see whether we could, if we could judge some of these events in terms of their positive, constructive evolutionary impact versus their negative blocking impact, whether those would show up equally in these computers, or would they be more favored by one as compared to the other? That is, would be something quite interesting to find out. That is very interesting, Irvin. Um, Roger, is there a, such a, a setup within the mechanisms of your, your studies that can assess what Irvin is saying? The Well, um, yes. Yes? <laughs> uh, one of the things that we have uh, been running this project for more than 20 years, and there were, uh, I said, a, a total of 500 uh, pre-specified events that we would examine, some positive, some negative, some uh, surprising, some small, some large. But the idea was uh, to sample the possible kinds of things that might um, engage people's attention and maybe promote their connection to each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, to ask questions like, is a positive event more powerful than a negative event? Um, the answer to that is a little ambiguous, but uh, one of the kinds, of, one of the um, secondary analyses we have done is to look at categories of events, and um, the, the most heartening discovery uh, in, in doing that, uh, in, for, from uh, my perspective, and I think a lot of other people appreciate this, is that um, emotions like compassion. If they are uh, tremendous, you know, tremendous numbers of people are sharing a compassionate state of being, um, then our uh, t 
devices tended to correlate with each other. That compassion, which you know is a is really um, a kind of emotion that really that, that that brings people together. I mean, you don't do most most of the time. You don't think of compassion as something you do by yourself. You share compassion with other people and love, and those kinds of uh, emotional descriptors um, applied to events in the big in, in the big world are the ones that have pushed our um, scores, which are really correlations among or between these devices, uh, which should be random, completely random, um, and they're separated by thousands of kilometers. Those, the correlations among these devices increase when the coherence and resonance of people increases. Co compassion, love, and the, the, the positive um, interactive states are the kinds of things that bring people most powerfully together. We need more. We need more of these galvanizing events that are predicated on something of an uplifting nature, don't we? There's been a top-heavy media-centered, even something like the COP26, which is about to begin, which, in theory, really is on behalf of all of us and the best for all of us, is a highly charged. Um, event experience. I wonder what the results will be from the uh, from the random generators, because this is really a rally now, isn't it? It's a. I have been looking at events of that nature, mm -hmm. the kind that are organized by people. For example, in India, there's the Kumela, which is a very, very big celebration. Of it, it's uh, it, the biggest versions have 20 million people. Uh, I understand, coming together in the northern part of India uh, to try to bathe away their sins in the Ganges. And um, we, um, those happen only every 12 years, the biggest ones, but there are others in between. We have looked at four of them. And in each case, the signature produced uh, during the day of the, of the greatest um, numbers gathering and doing their, their ablutions and, mm -hmm. and their prayers. And those, those look so much alike that they, you can hardly distinguish one from the other. And each one of them does what we predict will happen. Each one of them shows a, a persistent, consistent, long-term correlation that shouldn't exist between the you know, data points produced by random number generators the quantum process that is uh, demonstrating to us that there is a connection that we can bring into being purposefully as we do at uh, celebrations like uh, the Kumela, but also uh, things like Earth Day. We've looked at that also. It, uh, it, our system is um, what has to be called a low signal to noise system. <laughs> that means that uh, we don't, always get what we expect we will, uh, but on, so we have to be persistent, we have to be patient. That's one of the pieces of scientific uh, equipment that is most necessary in this kind of work, patience. So we do the same, uh, we ask the same question repeatedly. And uh, sometimes it's mm, maybe, but most of the time it's yes. And when it adds up uh, several times yes, then we have, uh, good, solid, scientific 
uh, evidence of this connection that we, we speak uh, so um, urgently about. And, and Roger, do we know how long after these events, the tail light of, of these comet moments endure? <laughs> or do they just disappear the next day and we're back to our same old... <laughs> Would be interesting to see. Well, if Allison, you need to join our research team because uh, that's a good question. Uh, we do. We have to uh, make the prescription. That is the. We have to say exactly what the event is, uh, what the starting time is, what the ending time is, before we look at the data. Of course, uh, otherwise we wouldn't um, be able to claim we're doing science, right? So um, we have in general um, set a, an event, even if it's a, an explosion, something that has a single moment in time. It isn't just there that we look, but we look a little before and several hours afterwards, generally speaking. And um, it turns out that um, most of the time, the um, effect of whatever the sharply focused event was does persist for hours. In other words, mm. this gathering of consciousness into a kind of unified uh, resonant state doesn't just dissipate instantly as soon as the stimulating moment has passed. Instead, it stays with us. It's probably um, an indication mm. that we, sh we should learn something like cultural meditation. Really, a, a new sustainability because consciousness is ever-present, but our relationship to it has to become more evident and sustained and purposeful, yeah. and purpose, purposeful such an excellent point um i want to veer us in a little different direction and irvin i i'm going to come back to you roger i'd like to ask you does okay i had better read my own question because it's a little unusual in the material world we have laws to guide us to govern us if you will do we need consciousness laws to inform our infant state about this alternate state, given that it is so hard to distinguish between the voice of ego and the voice of intuitive guidance in the first place? You know, I think sometimes of incidents like the Capitol riots uh, that had a ringleader in horns who felt guided to perform his misguided behavior. And we see the, the ramifications Consciousness is neither good nor bad, but how do we harness this for the betterness of our collective self? Do we need a conscious, consciousness sort of law book? Well, consciousness is something that happens, something that we can use because it means connection, and it's something that is not random in itself. So consciousness does have laws, I think. The same laws that life has. Because consciousness and life are, are, are the same manifest are different manifestations of the same thing of an evolutionary drive in this universe. We all act together. So they're intriguing questions, you know, these are very difficult to answer them on the spur of the moment. But I, I don't think in terms of laws. I think in terms of structures, perhaps, you know. Yes. There are, there are it's not everything is possible even for consciousness. <laughs> and right. so I'm always struck by the fact that 
according to the physics evidence, and Melzer mm -hmm. can say more about this if he likes, even at the, shortly after the Big Bang, the laws of nature that regulate the interaction of quanta, or even the smallest subsidiary units, they were operative. Nothing happened purely in an empty, unbiased, uh, immaterial and impersonal mm -hmm. space. Everything had happened already in a, in a structured space, as it were. Mm. If you like, like you like the term, use the term field or Akashic field in this context. The Akashic field was pre is present and was present predates the, the universe because mm. the universe was born as a space-time manifestation at a given time, perhaps after the, at, at the Big Bang or after. But something which, is, which happens, which is underlying it all, is a something structured that Plato would understand very well, you know. And physicists, yes. physicists like David Bohm are talking about the implicate order. So this is something that I think which already structures the way consciousness operates. Consciousness is not mm. random. I like to use the term that Bohm brought in, which I like to use very much, which is informed with a hyphen. Consciousness mm. as a field, something that extends beyond us is already informed. It's not anything goes. It's something mm. go much better than others. If you didn't have this tiny, tiny bias in the random interactions, we wouldn't have a universe today. We wouldn't have anything coherent. We would have swirling inert gases interacting randomly. So that the fact that we are here is the most blazing, shining evidence that something brought forth coherence, something is bringing forth coherence in this life, in this universe. And that something is a guide. If we understand what that something is, then it becomes a force with which we can go. And, and which would be very unwise to go against because you are digging your own grave, so to speak. You are going against the flow. There is something, some, there are some things that are more likely, more probable in this world than some other things. If you can measure that in terms of the interaction between a human being or a group of human beings or a mass of human beings and a sensitive electronic device, that's a fantastic thing because then you can have the so-called proof that science always asks for and people always ask for that yes, indeed, our consciousness is not purely random. It is structured. And of course, the same way it is, so our body is structured, but information on which, in which we operate, the whole world of information is already there. It has been given and it's unfolding all the time. That's the force that the young people talk about, force that you go, go with the force, as they say, go with the direction of consciousness. I think this is what, what Nelson can measure and for which we need all the best evidence that we can have to convince us that yes, there is a better direction. There is something better than we can do than some other things. Oh, that's beautifully said. I, and, and it's very reassuring, isn't it? That this is not just a chaos, a random, uh, there is some kind of order and a beautiful order to the, the larger, the greater. And I, I think that's such a beautiful note to conclude on. Um, I, what I would like to do, however, before we conclude is if Roger, if you know by verse uh, the quote that I know you love to use from Talhard de Chardin, the famous Jesuit priest, um, 
about fire. Uh, would would you like to? Do you remember it by heart? Would you like to? I'm afraid and, I don't remember it. I could only paraphrase it. But basically, like Tayar said yeah. that if um, that we are at a point where if we are able to uh, embody love, then we will have rediscovered fire or discovered fire for the second time. You are beautifully paraphrasing it, and now I will read it because it is so beautiful. <laughs> and and uh, next time I'll ask you to say it in French, en français. But we won't do that this time. <laughs> Here's the quote. Someday, after we have mastered the winds, the waves, the tides, and gravity, we shall harness for God the energies of love. Then, for the second time in the history of the world, we will have discovered fire. Mm. I love that. I love that. <laughs> really. And I think on, on that note, we'll conclude today's absolutely riveting, I feel, really riveting conversation. Hopefully we can pick this up again with you and Fred in, in the uh, loop here directly. Um, but I think at this point, um, I'm just going to include conclude by saying, as I always do, I'm Alison Goldwyn with our hosts, Irvin Laszlo and Fred Sal, and today's very special guest, a, a random generator unto himself, Roger Nelson, <laughs> inviting you to join us for more episodes of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing. And to please remember, the bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. When building this new paradigm for humankind, Let's try to include human kindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. And in conclusion, here are a few words from our co-host, Fred Sow. The universe or the, the not form that comes from the, uh, it depends how you call it, cosmo universe. It is actually the net, the consciousness field. The consciousness field, of course, has its own nature. But consciousness field is not uh, no movement in there. So they create this evolutionary energy. It comes out and create. From the consciousness field comes the evolution energy that brings into the collective consciousness that actually split up to individual consciousness into forming into a separation third dimensional physical form where everything starts moving but it's nature and its direction with the energy moving out it's also energy moving in evolutionary attracted and moving it's like you're moving your your arms up you know to control you're moving your arms up you have muscles that connect the body as one it's not just arm moving the whole body is one muscle moving and it's a contraction and a retract, a, a contraction and an extension thing. That's why you can move accurately with your arm. And when you move your arm, the whole body actually is connecting to the movement. So the Chinese will understand that like this. So if one is the Wuji, which is the consciousness field, and then the Tao, which is evolution energy, and then there is the Taiji, which is the creation of form. Within that, they have the 
so-called virtue uh, from heaven, which is the virtue from the conscious net, which is the nature of the conscious net to pull you back, like a beacon going home. So we can call it the uh, conscience, the moral sentiments, uh, the virtual nature of human, whatever we call it, your Buddha nature, your God image, whatever name you want to call it, there is a beacon, there's something to bring up. And a very simple thing, everybody, uh, the human, will ask an existential question. Doesn't matter what color you're in, where you're born, what level of society. This is almost like, you know, there is, you have email all the time. Okay? And so whether you respond to the email, how deeply, how you respond to email, that keeps you searching from the truth. That keeps you from derailing from your, your nature. So yeah, there are rules to it. That's the nature of energy, the rules. And creation is always uh, going through cycles of destruction and reconstruction, but always move towards more complicated structure, more coherency in the physical world, more consciousness, energy, and this whole thing is always seeking coherency. So is it anything random? No. Everything is an extension of this evolutionary energy and it's going somewhere. However, human being, bear in mind, human being, there's no dog being or cat being, only human being, is the most creative being. So they have choices. So the next moment, every moment is calibrated for coherency. The next moment we have a choice. So therefore we can go against evolutionary energy. We can do all kinds of things. And sometimes going against it is just nothing but the vibration of the energy and the destruction process for recollecting. So we become very separating now uh, of individuality so much that the individualism is eating ourselves us like self-suicidal. And so, and now it's an awakening uh, because the energy has shifted and we're now awakening. We have sustainability, we have globalization, we have technology application. All that are challenges from which we can evolve because we all evolve on the direction of challenges. So why is this significant? Well, if we continue like this, everything is not natural. Everything is stressed out. Earth is stressed out, society is stressed out, family, individual, that means we're in a dying destruction process. But before we completely destroy and finish, we're now awakening and now we're moving in the other opposition of unifying energy and unifying choice. Like you can see it's happening into working, learning, cooking, living at home. Soon the home will be community, which we've been falling apart for a long time and community and your home, it becomes your world. And so there are many of these things are happening right now in the unifying energy and in the awakening of humanity. So these are the rules and this is the expression. Well, 
It's not that why it's important now. It has to happen. If it doesn't happen, it sends a virus to help us help it. So industry are localizing, that speed up AI, supply chain are disrupted so they can be reconstructed. Family that's falling apart needs to redoing. Industrial farming is no good, now becomes more community farming. Everything is going through change right now into a much more integrated life and living. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara with theme music Chimera by Biba DuPont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sal, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, the podcast, on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Alan. Alison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide, wishing you well-being till we talk again next week. 